This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And Wednesdays with Greg Wyshynski. Little MVSW Redux time. Greg joins us in New York where it is a breakup day for the New York Rangers. And uh, always interesting to hear the quotes. The Boston breakup day was fascinating, and we'll get into that with Greg in a couple of moments. But uh, good afternoon, Greg. How are you? How is the Big Apple? Well, let me give you the news, because as you literally called, as I had my recorder in the face of one Patrick Kane, uh, Kane is, yes. is hurt. Uh, Kane does not know Shocking. what the next steps what the next steps are regarding his recovery this off season. Kane does not know if if it requires surgery, what that means for July first. If he'd have to put off signing with the team, if it means that he couldn't start the season. And Kane did not shut the door on coming back to the Rangers. He said he's really enjoyed his time here. Kane did shut the door on going back to the Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> when I asked him <laughs> if there was a chance that he could potentially yeah. see himself back in Chicago because he's got roots down there. Obviously, his family is there, and he, he kind of just said, look, they're, they're rebuilding now. So anybody who is wondering if uh, you know Connor Bedard is skating in the middle for the Blackhawks next year with uh, Patrick Kane, it doesn't sound like that will be an option going yeah. forward for Did- the iconic Blackhawks player. So let's stay on the Pat Kane page here for a couple of moments here. I want to ask you about, you know, the the Rangers um, uh, end in all of this. But do you get a sense after having watched him, spoken to him, uh, wondered about his future? Is he going to be the guy? Is, sorry, is he going to be the player that when you go to his hockey DB, when his career is all wrapped up, it's like, you know, uh, 18, year, 18 years on one team and then four years of four different teams? You think he's going to be that guy in the NHL, the mercenary at the at the end of the career, floating from team to team, maybe a little less hobo style? There you go. I got that reference in. <laughs> so I think there's a possibility of that happening, right? Um, I think the only caveat I'd say is that if there's a situation in which he's really happy to kind of put new roots down for his family, I could see him. I mean, he's 35 now, right? So I could see him maybe signing a – a three-year deal, four-year deal someplace to kind of just maybe finish out his career in a certain spot. I mean, obviously, everyone's going to speculate what about the Sabres kind of deal, right? Like, hey, go back home, finish there. There's always been the talk about that being a possibility. So, uh, you know, I I would say that that would be a caveat is that I I do see him, you know, potentially finishing his career as a hockey ronin, you know, going from city to city and and bringing his uh, (laughs) katana sword with him. But but I also could see a situation in which he um, you know he he maybe finds the spot that he'd like to kind of finish out his career in. Um, I don't think that's going to be New York. I don't think that happens economically for them. Um, but uh, but I do think it could possibly be somewhere else. Hang on, you almost dropped the David Carradine reference in there, and I got to make the obvious. I got to make the obvious <laughs> joke and the obvious line. You remember his character's name from Kung Fu, right? Why? Yeah. It was Kane. <laughs> Kane. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. That's I brilliant. Don't, the other thing I want to I don't think that was I, I, I don't think I, it was accidental. It was com- no, it was completely on purpose. Obviously, I knew that reference uh, back to front, <laughs> knew I was making it. The other thing here that I should say too is that uh, Tarasenko spoke and uh and he also did not shut the door on coming back to the Rangers said he was treated very uh, well by them, his family treated very well, uh would love to find a way to stay here. Um, but both of these guys are so interesting because this is their first kick at the free agency can. And, and I think both of them don't really, I mean, Kane is obviously in a really 
more of a murky place than Tarasenko in the sense that he doesn't even know like what he, his future is health wise quite yet. Right. But in Tarasenko's case, it's kind of, you know, he's never had a chance to hit the market. He's never had a chance to really see what's out there. You know, who's going to come knock in, what the opportunities are going to be. And, and I asked him, you know, what, what is the thing that's going to drive your decision? And of course, first and foremost, his family and making sure that, that he's going to be in a good spot uh, with, with his family. And then, then he, he said that, you know, he was lucky enough to win one Stanley Cup and, and would love to, to get another one. So, I mean, I, I, it sounds like it's not going to be a long-term deal with, with a team that's out of the mix. It's going to be something where he, he'll, be, he'll be looking to sign with a real contender in the summer. Could that team be, and I know there would have to be a lot of cap gymnastics to make this happen, but we'll see what happens in the offseason, um, a team that sort of flirted with um, with Vlad Tarasenko in the past. You know, I don't know if you know uh, his his X rays scared them off once upon a time. There's always been that speculation, but would the Islanders make some sense with Vlad Tarasenko? I think they do. I mean, you you look at that series against Carolina, and and it was a really bad draw for the Islanders. Let's be honest. I mean, the Islanders want to do. Yeah what the Hurricanes did to the Islanders to other teams, right? It's just that Carolina's the best at it. Um, but it, it was still a situation where they're scra- scrapping and clawing and, and trying to eke out goals uh, in the playoffs, which has is, is, is normally kind of been their, their struggle. And it's a matter of getting finishers sometimes. And, I mean, if you could say what you will about Tarasenko and what he does or does not bring to a team, but the man can finish a play. <laughs> and, and now you've gotten yourself Horvat, yeah. you've gotten yourself Barzell, you've got, you've got your guys your guys that can certainly, you know, score themselves, but also set up chances for others. And I think having more finishers in that roster has always been something that Lou Lamorello has chased. And, and Tarasenko is definitely one of those guys. So maybe he does stick around uh, in New York uh, in, in some semblance, but, but probably not with the Rangers. Um, okay. So a couple more things with the Rangers here. So there's, um, listen, I don't think we're telling state secrets here. I mean, there's a lot of talk right now about Gerard Gallant and his future and perhaps the lack of one, uh, with the New York Rangers. And there's plenty of speculation about a return to the NHL, maybe behind the Rangers bench, uh, of Joel Quenville. But, um, initially the, uh, the Gerard Gallant question, I know Rangers players were asked about it. Most notably the captain, Jacob Truba. What is the uh, what is the word at ground? You know, like what, what's the word right now in, in Rangerland about uh, about Gerard Gallant? I asked I asked Trouba that question, and his answer was, I don't know, kind of perfunctory. I felt like it wasn't really like a glowing endorsement of his coach. Let me put it that way. Um, especially when you compare it to pa- what there was the pause. There was there the was pause. a huge pause, but but it also as wasn't he, like he, he didn't put him over. Thought. Yeah, he didn't put him over. Like, but, 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 and I say that in particular because we asked Adam Fox the same question. And Fox gave a really eloquent answer about how, you know, Golan, it, it does a lot of things that we don't get to see in, in the media and in the public behind the scenes. And I said, like, what is that? And he said, he's, he's a coach that understands the, the, the work-life balance of his players. And, and, you know, the fact that he's, he's always been a player's coach. And the, and the players always respected the kind of player that yeah. he was. So he's always had that cachet going, and I think that there are certain guys in this team that certainly appreciate his approach to them. Um, and you, can't, you know, you can't take that away from Glenn. Now, the other side of the coin is that he is kind of who we thought he was, in, in the sense that when he was fired in Vegas, the the aftermath of that was he's a stubborn guy to his own admission, who doesn't really 
do in-game adjustments all that well. And you could see that in the Devils series. He didn't really make a lot of in-game adjustments all that well. He did make one huge off-ice adjustment in scrambling his lines before game six, and I would say that that change is what led them to win game six. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, in, in some of their situations, he did kind of like tactically get outcoached, I felt, by Lindy Ruff. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but the question really is twofold for me. One, does a coaching change, is it, is it a necessity or, or is it more of a, of, a, of a construction thing where you don't have the kind of team right now that competes in 2023 in the NHL when it comes to speed and tenacity? And then the other thing, too, and, and this is the thing that Larry Brooks in the Post pointed out, you don't want to just make a change to get another retrade in here. Like if you're making the change and you get Joel Quenville in here, well, I mean, let's, let's set aside all the Quenville stuff for a second, but I mean, from a, from an X's and O's, is this guy a better coach standpoint? Yeah. He's a better coach than Gerard Lamb. The real question with, with Quenville a is that if he'll ever be approved to come back and B, if he is, yeah. if the NHL signs off on him returning, is that enough to, to, to quiet what is going to be an, an incredible clamor from the local fans and media with regard to this guy getting another job and, and his and his job being with the New York Rangers. Cause, cause here's the thing about it. I was talking to somebody about this this morning here at the Rangers facility. When you hire Joel Quenville after what happened in Chicago, you are not simply hiring somebody who, you know, some, some fans might not like, right? Like, like when, when Tony D'Angelo comes to your team, some fans don't like that, but you're not getting editorials in the New York times demonizing the decision. And that's what happens if you hire Joel Quenville. What happens is that it becomes a national story that this guy, this guy uh, is getting another opportunity and getting another opportunity from this team. So that's the real tricky part of this for them. I'm going to sound really callous saying this, but do you think that the Rangers would care that much? Or is the calculation... Uh, we need to win here. We need someone to get Artemi Panarin going again. And we know what the fallout is going to be if slash when we hire Joel Quenville and we'll have, you know, plenty of, you know, crisis people around to, to manage that story and to work through it. But at the end of the day, we need to get Panarin going and this team back on track in the playoffs. Is that two counts? No, and you and I are of the same mind, which is that if there's one team in this league that has always had an attitude about it that they are above reproach, it's the Rangers. And and I'm talking about like things like we're going to control the revenues on our own website and the NHL isn't going to touch them and things like that. Like they've always sort of been defiant in some ways. And that is obviously something that that comes down from being a a team owned by James Dolan. I mean, he does his own thing. The Rangers do their own thing. So you're completely right that of of all the teams in this league, this might be the one that can get away with it. But the more important thing for me, Merrick, is this, like, I, I do wonder at the end of the day, like whether what's been established by Gary Bettman in, in that Quenzel has to ask to come back is going to, inevitably make it easier to bring him back because they're going to, they're going to have to sign off on it, the league, right? So if the league yep. says yep. you can come back, I mean, that's, that's a tacit endorsement that this is a guy that can work in this league again. And it really does take the pressure off the Rangers in some ways, if, it, if it's them or somebody else, because they could just point to the NHL and say, well, they said it's okay. Right. So, I mean, the, the league has kind of put themselves in a spot where they're going to be the ones maybe that absorbs the heat 
um, more so than the team that ends up giving Joel Quinville a contract. Um, anything else from breakup day with the Rangers that uh, intrigues you? Because I kind of want to shift to the Boston Bruins here in a second. Anything well, just, jump just, out at you just, from the Rangers today? Just that a lot more talk about how good the Devils were than, than you normally get. You get a lot of guys at these things, because I've done them for years. I mean, my God, I did a run in Washington where I had to talk to a, a miserable Mike Green for like six years <laughs> whenever they'd lose in like a game seven. And it was just like you see it over and over and over again. And, and when, you, when you did those yeah. Capitals ones, it wasn't like they were ever sitting there being like, yeah, the Penguins are better than us. Like you never really heard that, but there was a lot of talk today about the Devils being better, the Devils being faster, the Devils getting their game more. We lost to a good team. It was a, yeah. it was a lot more about the, the their lot in, in life having to draw a, a, a real good Devils team in the first round than it was anything about woe is us. We're not. It was on us to, to be better. Like it, they really kind of put over their opponent in a way that you don't normally hear at these things, and I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, okay, so speaking of the New Jersey Devils, and you know it's interesting. Someone I can't remember who it was. Someone um, showed up in my timeline, wondering, you know, are the New Jersey Devils like who who who's further along in their rebuild? And I know you and I have gone back and forth on, you know, did the Rangers really rebuild, or was it just a just a letter saying we're going to suck for a little bit here? Um, you know, the New Jersey Devils or the New York Rangers? And I think you can make more than a compelling case that it's the New Jersey Devils, ladies and gentlemen. Now. New Jersey Devils facing off against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, now, this is, first of all, it was a Metropolitan Division dogfight. Second of all, this is, and I say this with love, this is the nerd series, man. Like, this really <laughs> is. Like, when you look at, like, how these two teams were built, you know, as much as this is New Jersey versus Carolina, this is, you know, Tyler Dello and Matt Kane. Uh, versus yeah. Eric Tolsky and Mark Kunov, like that's the you know this is like the the subtle under the underbelly of this entire series, isn't it? It's really funny. Like I, I, it's funny. I, I bumped into Dello after Game Seven, and we were just chatting about how how wild it is that that all this happened. And, and you're right; it really br- kind of brings it home that like a scant 15 years ago, we, we were reading these guys on blogs, and now they're they're helping to construct. Yeah semi-finalists in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, the most interesting thing for me about this for the, from a devil's perspective is, is, is sort of the, the sea change that's going to happen tonight where they go from the hunter to the hunted a little bit. You know, the, the, their, their modus mm. operandi in this series against with the Rangers was stop them, you know, stop Kreider, stop Zibanejad, stop Trenaren, stop Fox, stop Kane. Um, and, and, and so it was much more about the things that they were doing defensively and the things that they were doing to control play that helped them win that series. Carolina, you know, is, is the team that, that does that to other teams, as we, as we mentioned before. So I find it kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't really know what this series is going to look like because are you going to have two teams that are just going to be at a stalemate? Are you going to have Devils trying to win with their speed? Um, are they going to have Carolina being aggressive on the forecheck? Like, I, I really don't have a read as to what this is going to look like because – it could be two, t- two teams playing the same style. It could be one team trying to go, the other team trying to hold yeah. it back. Um, I, I, I hesitate to say that this is going to be a low-scoring series um, only because the, the Islanders-Carolina series, which we all thought was going to be one nothing games, ended up going hitting the over like four straight. <laughs> so it's, like, it's hard to really get a handle on what yeah. this is going to end up looking like, I think. 
Um, this will be a really interesting one. Let's let, let's park that for a second because I do want to rewind. Just want to make that one point about New Jersey and, and Carolina and how they're built by. To your point, people we read, you know, uh, I mean, we read their blogs 15 years ago, and now they're um, now they're the kind of like subtle stars of these two teams here that kind of the envy around the NHL. Nonetheless, how things have grown, how thing, how people have matured since we started our goofy little podcast. Yeah. Um, and look at Alex Mandricki in Seattle, you know, and she used to yep. listen to the podcast and now she's a big shot with Seattle and they've just grabbed a one nothing series lead against Dallas. I'll pick up Seattle here in a second. Okay. Boston Bruins, um, breakup day was a fascinating one. Um, now I know the fire alarm kind of killed some of the drama and the emotion in Jeremy <laughs> Swayman in tears, uh, as he's given this heartfelt, you know, I owed the guys one more save as the honk, honk honk in the background is going off it kind of under undercuts the drama and the emotion of the moment but nonetheless um you know bergeron talking about game 82 and that's where he got injured and playing in front of his dad and the last regular season game in montreal and i don't know like what were your linus allmark as well we still don't know what it was but then there's a discussion about playing hurt versus playing injured which rears its head uh what were your some what were some of your takeaways from the boston bruins breakup day from what I saw, I mean, the Bergeron thing was something that we had kind of known about in the series. I had covered that series for, for ESPN, and, and the fact that why he was playing in that game was sort of well-known. And um, But, but you know, yeah. the, the extent of his injury, I don't think we really understood until he talked about it. And it is kind of amazing, once again, that guy's pain threshold. Um, I saw a video of him in practice one day where he was skating, and he got done with a lap, and he, and he sort of doubled over. And at the time, there was a little speculation, okay, is that concussion-related? Is it whatever? But then when you know it's a herniated disc, you say to yourself, okay, that guy can't, I mean, can't even complete a lap without really feeling it. So the fact that he only had a goal yeah. in three games and was a minus six is completely understandable. But, but again, really, really impacted the Bruins in, 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 a, in, a, in an, an unforeseen way. The Olmark thing, look, there's a lot of guys on this team that didn't have uh, the playoff that we expected. One of them was Jim Montgomery. I'm being, to be honest with you, like, don't think that he was, he was all that great tactically in the series um, when we started to see what the Panthers were doing, in particular what the Bennett-Kachuk line is doing. I, I don't like the idea of just simply oh, yeah. like conceding, conceding that they're that good, which is kind of what he did at the end of the series. He just said, hey, like, whenever they, we got momentum, they took it back. Well, you, you've got to mitigate that. You're the Bruins. <laughs> You're the best defensive team in the league. Um, and, and I also think that he botched the goaltending thing. Like, it, He's over, he was very reliant on, on his, his uh, goaltending experts within the organization to really tell him what to do. I think you've got to vibe it sometimes. And I, and I also think that you need to give respect to the fact that it was a tandem during the regular season. And they should have gone to Swayman way earlier than sticking that kid in game seven. They should have gone to him way earlier than that. And, and so it, was, it, was a, it wasn't a really good – the guy's going to win the Jack Adams. He's not going to be the, the, la, the first or the last guy to win the Jack Adams and then not have the strongest playoff. But, but it kind of wasn't the best playoff for a guy that really got the lion's share of the credit, I felt, during the regular season for the, the season that they had. You know, so so that sort of winks at this other conversation, which is you look at that, well, specifically Game 7, um, and the Boston Bruins, unlike at any other point during the season, they really looked... <sighs> scared is too strong, maybe nervous... The entire mm-hmm. time, and I, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. help but thinking as I'm watching this game seven, wish I'm thinking to myself, this is the weight of 
playing to try to make the last dance for Patrice Bergeron mean something. And they know that he's hurt, and they know that this is probably it for Patrice Bergeron, and there's that nervous anxiety that comes along with it that goes through the entire team that they don't want this to end this way for Bergeron after the season that uh, the team just had and how the Selkie Trophy is getting polished up and waiting for him again. Um, I, I wonder if that contributed to it because that, listen, you covered it, that Boston Bruins team by the end looked so different than the team mm-hmm. we were used to all season long. Like, completely different wish. I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I think the bergeron Krejci stuff is real. I mean, you could tell the emotion of these guys, especially Marchand at the end, the idea that they were trying to win one for, for him, the fact that he came back, his return to the team was sort of a tacit endorsement that he felt like this team could compete. And it really kind of set them off on the right course. And everything he did behind the scenes when he was hurt, you know, he's obviously, I mean, he's been there 19 years. He's obviously a meaningful player for that organization. But more so than that, dude, I really think that this was the, 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 the jitters, the nerves, the lack of execution, the freaking out when adversity hit. I think that is very much yeah. President's Trophy curse byproduct. And again, we're not talking about some voodoo here, man. It's pretty easy. You 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 set the standards <laughs> so high for yourself in the regular season, yeah. and you that you don't want to become another footnote. You don't want to become Tampa against Columbus. And I talked to Marchand about this during the regular season, like when we when we talked about the regular season records that they at one point weren't chasing. He's just like it doesn't matter. Like none of us talk about it. The only thing that matters is us winning in the end. Because if we don't win in the end, then no one's going to care about what we did in the regular season. And now. That being tr- said, and that being true, you've you've gone you've gone and set records. You've gone and become the best regular season team of all time. You've gone and, and and put even more weight on this season and winning a cup at the end because now you're not simply just being embarrassed as a President Trophy winner. Everybody gets embarrassed as a President Trophy winner. Only eight times have we seen a team win the cup as one. Seven times they've gone out in the first round, right? So like. But but now you're gonna be now you're gonna be embarrassed not only as a president's trophy winner but as the best team of all time in the regular season in wins and points. Can you imagine the pressure, Merrick, when you are seeing the Florida Panthers tie Game Seven with a minute left? Imagine what you are what is going through your head when you know you are one goal away from having 82 games and the record set and all of it flushed down the toilet, which is what happened. Yeah. Would they dare try to put up a banner? <laughs> so I've seen this. I mean, before. on the one hand, like, uh, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. I'm, I'm, I'm asking this legitimately, because all those yeah. things you talk about in the regular season, those are amazing accomplishments. Like, whenever yeah. I see a team like this, and we think about, oh, you're peaking too early, and worry about the playoffs and all that, and I'm, I'm always thinking to myself, if I'm a coach and I get that question, I'm responding. Well, do you want me to tell them to stop winning now? Like, do you want me to? Okay, the, the regular season, you make the argument is about developing habits that you're going to use in the playoffs. So, do you want me to tell them to stop winning? But at the same time, like these are like that was an incredible achievement. Like I always defer to the '77 halves. This was a different era. Blah blah blah. Who was the best team, etc. But by the numbers, that's the best team in the NHL. Okay, right? Do they put up a banner signifying that at TD Garden or? Did that first round playoff loss wash out any possibility of it? Because I don't know that a Boston Bruins fan, him or her, will watch a banner like that go up 
and not kind of cringe a little bit. Well, well, you've 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 defined two different verbs here: put up <laughs> okay. versus 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 raise. I don't think that they'll raise a banner. I mean, maybe if they lost in the conference oh, final, they'd raise a yeah, banner. Yeah, yeah. But 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 I've seen right. it before, specifically again during my time in Washington D.C., where you come out for game number one opening night and. Well, look, the banner's already up there. <laughs> like, like it's already that's up there. kind of what I imagine. <laughs> I mean, like, they, there should be some sort of a a a uh, an acknowledgement, acknowledgement. Of, of, yeah. of their accomplishments for sure. It's an amazing regular season, um, but I don't think that there should be anything formal or ceremonial about it. I think that's kind of like out the door as soon as you lose the first round. Yeah. I don't disagree. Okay, a um, couple of things. Uh, I was asking Matty Marchese, our producer, this before he came on, and, and he's a big Maple Leafs fan. Even he sheepishly had to admit something. Now, I'm going to give you a scenario here, okay? And this all sort of reflects back on the, the Buffalo draft. Austin Matthews goes first overall, and Matthew Kachuk falls to the Calgary Flames. If I told you, Greg Wyshynski, you had one playoff game to win the Stanley Cup, Winner take all, and you could choose one player, and your choice was Austin Matthews or Matthew Kachuk. Same draft, all of it. Who do you take? Kachuk, Kachuk all day. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the, on the damn back here. Okay, we did a we did an episode of the drop earlier this season. We talked about David Pasternak and and him signing that contract mm-hmm. and how good he is and the season he was having. And I said at the time that Matthew Kachuk is the best overall winger in this league. And I, I was ridiculed for it. I had all of Boston coming at me. I had other fan bases coming at, coming at me for having the audacity to say that, that, that Matthew Kachuk should be in the conversation for the league's best all-around player, mm-hmm. including centers. And I am being vindicated right now for that take because he is, as, exempl- <laughs> as exemplified by the, the last few weeks, yeah. one of the best all-around hockey players in the world. Defensively, doing the little things, producing offensively. Um, I take him all day in, in a situation like that because I, I know how he plays. I know the little things that he does. Oh, and by the way, like if I need someone to set the tone and tenor off the ice for my team for a game like that, I'm not turning to Austin Matthews. I'm turning to Matthew Kachuk, the guy who scored an overtime game-winning goal in game five and then sat before the media an hour later and said, you, you all thought we'd get swept. I mean, like, how do you, how do you not, how do you not want that all over your team? Like just yeah. put it in a bottle and squirt it all over your team. I mean, that's, that's what you need in a situation yeah. like that. What did you make of the Panthers last night? I mean, knocking off the Boston Bruins and then turning right around and taking care of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And listen, there's some great performances we're seeing right now. Uh, Bobrovsky was outstanding, comma, again. Brandon Montour uh, somehow has six goals in, in eight games for the Florida Panthers. Remarkable. Uh, but what did you make of what you saw last night at Scotiabank? So, so here's the thing. First of all, I thought Bobrovsky had his best game of the playoffs last night. I, I didn't. I think he got a little bit more credit than he deserved in the first round because of just the mystique of now having done this twice. Um, he was great. Uh, what's getting What's getting a little scary for teams playing the Panthers is that you have the best line in the playoffs right now with Bennett and Kachuk, and no matter who they play with, it's been Cousins. It, it has in the past, and for Hagee, I think it'll remain cousins. Like those guys are great. Those guys just change everything when they step on the ice and, and, and 
And sometimes all you need is, is one line uh, to get going. The scary thing for the Panthers is that now they've got a little bit more than that. Rehage is scoring huge goals. Montour, like you said, is making big plays. You have Barkov holding down the fort against whoever he's playing against. So, again, like we all slept on this a little bit. We all slept on, on the depth that they have at forward. Um, I think we slept on Montour a little bit. And, and maybe when they start the playoffs with Alex Lyon, um, even if he has this great stretch before the playoffs, we don't anticipate their goaltending in totality being as good as it's been. And like, if they had started Alex Lyon last night, maybe they don't win, but they come back with Bob. I think they've got two options to be honest with you, and and they're they're good. Yeah. They're they're a tough tough out as the Leafs found out last night. And fast, uh, and and a really quick team. All right, uh, it was a Pavelski night. He returns. Uh, it's four goals. <laughs> Interestingly enough. Um, I think when he scored the third goal and the hat started coming down, it might have been the worst, or could have been the worst possible thing for Dallas. Uh, normally it's a celebration, but you can almost see in, in Pavelski's face and Peter DeBoer's face this idea that, no, we don't need a five-minute pause to clean up hats. We don't want the momentum killed right now. <laughs> this is giving this giving Seattle a ch- This is exactly what Seattle wants. I'm surprised that Kraken players weren't out there encouraging more hats to hit the ice, to give them a nice long timeout and try to harsh the harsh the buzz as much as possible for the Dallas Stars. But there was a whole lot of interesting there last night. There was the Sagan situation uh, with Adam Larson. I mentioned the Pavelski situation. I thought Max Domi had a great game. And at the end of it, there it is again. The Seattle Kraken, balanced scoring. Uh, I didn't think either goaltender was really that great at all. If not, by their standards, they were awful. Uh, at the end of it, it's Yanni Gord, you know, playoff hero for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, we all know the history. Your thoughts on the Kraken grabbing game one out of Dallas? Stars are fine. They're fine. They, things didn't go well for them in the first period. There's some weird bounces. They got another weird bounce on the game winner that Gord just kind of slapped over the, the glove of, of Ottinger. Yep. That's fine. I, you know, I, I think the thing about that game is that the last thing you want in that game, if you're Dallas, is overtime, no matter how much momentum you have, because you've just had to chase the lead for, for the majority of the game. And you're expending so much energy to get back from a 2-0, two-goal hole that when you get to overtime, you know, no matter what kind of contact high you have from Pavelski rallying your team, you're gassed. And, and you could see in the overtime they didn't have the same jump that they had in the third period. So, okay, so you, you have that happen. You reset. I think they, they can feel a lot more a lot comfortable about Ottinger and the way he played after the first. I thought he was great. And I also think that they have one you know ace in the whole move, which is to put a healthy Pavelski back on the Robertson hints line, which is probably what they'll do for game two. So I think I, I have them winning this series. I have them winning in six. I'm sticking with that pick. I think they're going to be fine. Uh, Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights this evening. This is a fascinating one. I think if I'm I'm Vegas, we'll really turn into a, a very big, you know, a, a much more disciplined team than we've seen before. I think there's a lot of performances on this team that aren't getting a lot of headlines. Most notably, Alex Petrangelo, uh, who's been outstanding. How do you look at this one? I mean, if if Vegas wants to come out and and go hard against Edmonton. Um, and put themselves in the box, that could probably and will probably be death. Um, this is a tricky one for Bruce Cassidy's team to handle. How do you, how do you, how do you look at the, uh, the battle lines on this one, Wish? Yeah, it would not be advisable to put a team clicking at, like, what, 56% on the power play? That'd be, that'd be something I'd try to avoid. Ridiculous. So, 
So it's, it's, this is really fun because like people are looking at the series as a contrast in styles. It's like, okay, it's a Bruce Cassidy team. It's Vegas. They excel in trying to take away what really good players on the other side do. The Mark Stone of it all, like, you know, Carlson, Marshall, like all these guys, Petrangelo, all these guys that excel in trying to stop the other team's great offensive players. Well, the Oilers just played a team like that in the Los Angeles Kings. The Kings were second in expected goals against during the regular season at five on five. And there ended up being 45 goals scored in that series. It only went six games. So the people that are kind of anticipating this as mm-hmm. being some sort of a chess match between the Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers, the Oilers don't know how to do that. They'll never do that. They're going to give you all the chances you need, and they're going to take all the chances that they need. And every game is going to be five to four, and it's going to be great. It's going to be great. By the way, I think we're also <laughs> sleeping on the fact that we're also sleeping on the fact that this is a reunion between Evander Kane and Vegas Golden Knights fans, and there is absolutely no love lost there. And that's going to be a lot of fun too, because he is he is a, a, a infamous figure in that city for various reasons, yeah. but mostly because of the rivalry between the Sharks and the, and the Knights for all of those years. All right. Um, as we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts on the Calgary Flames. Um, we saw Don Maloney earlier on this week and the dismissal of Daryl Sutter. And I thought particularly interesting, um, Maloney talking about all the people that he talked to about Daryl Sutter. It wasn't just the players, but it was um, training staff. It was other staff. And he went out of his way to mention agents as well. Now, the reason I think he pointed out agents was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, with Daryl Sutter behind the bench, going to be real tough to get some good players uh, in this organization. And it became obvious, you know, as you know, as, as the offseason motored along, uh, that there was going to be a breakup between Daryl Sutter and the Calgary Flames. Now, uh, a number of rumors out there about you know, whether it's you know Mitch Love who comes up from the American Hockey League, um, whether it's Andrew Brunette who you know has been able to unlock you know the uh, the, the, the 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 enigma that is Jonathan Huberto. Um, and then we all look to perhaps Craig Conroy taking over as general manager. If he doesn't get the job, I, I wonder what goes through his mind and how he feels about the Calgary Flames organization. But just a, a general thought here on what's next for Calgary. There are teams that have various positions that are available. Uh, Calgary's got two whoppers, general manager and now head coach. Help me out with this one. When Trilliving was fired, wasn't the scuttlebutt, wasn't the scuttlebutt that Daryl Sutter had won a power struggle of some sort, and that's why Trilliving got fired? So, Am I wrong on that? It's a great, it's it's a great question. I don't think that he was fired as much as because he was offered a contract and he just refused it. Now that was earlier on in the season. I, I honestly okay. believe, again, I honestly believe, Greg, that Brad Trilliving needed a break. Okay. Like regardless of the Sutter situation, I think, cause you know, uh, Eric Francis asked that question. Hey, is there a chance that does this mean that Brad true living could come back to the organization? And Maloney shut that down and said, no, we're looking in a, we're, we're going in a different direction in a, in a new direction. I really think that Brad true living gave everything in his body and his brain uh, to this Calgary Flames organization, and I think that he just needed a mental reset, so and, and, he, and he just needed a break. I really believe that. I heard a rumor after, he, after they parted ways with your living that, that, one of the, that there was a possibility that Sutter might get kicked upstairs. Like, they, like clearly he wasn't going to be the coach again, but they keep him with the organization in some way, shape, or form, pay, pay out the contract, and, and he's still there in, in some, some way. Obviously, that didn't yeah. work out. Um, but I thought it was kind of an interesting thought. Um, it, it never works like this. 
where the GM gets turfed and then there's a breath and then the coach gets fired. I've never, I, I don't know the last time that's ever happened. And I can't remember if it's ever happened on, in a situation um, like this. I mean, maybe, what was it, Pittsburgh? Did Pittsburgh have a thing where Shiro got turfed and then Bilesma went after it? I think that might have been the, the timing of things there. But point being is that this rarely happens. And, and so I, I, yeah. I wonder, I, I, I don't know, if maybe it was just the timing of the process of hearing from the players and, the, and they didn't really know the, the, how deep the cancer went when it came to Daryl Sutter's to, you know, influence on this organization. Maybe they had to kind of like really do some more investigation um, and the true living thing had to happen first. But the sequence of things was a little dysfunctional. Ultimately, all of this is for the best. I think Brad took the, the biggest swing he could in trying to keep this team headed in the right direction after what no general manager can recover from, which is your two best players leaving happens. Um, and then obviously Sutter wasn't made for these times and, and certainly wasn't going to be a guy that could get anything more out of this team because they all hated him. So it, these changes had to happen. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see, more, more so intrigued to see who comes in as GM than anything else because as we talked about before, like this is, this is a collection of planets in search of a sun right now. Like I think they've got amazing supporting pieces here, Huberto being one of them, to be honest with you, because I, I don't think that he's a central like top-line star player. Um, in the way that Kachuk and Gaudreau could be for this team. Um, maybe, that, maybe that changes under a different guy like Brunette or somebody, but right now it's, it's not the case. Um, I, I, I just wonder how you go about trying to make this team on a cup contender and without having like a franchise player, I think, at the, at the heart of the team. I, I, you know, I wish, I really think that the first thing you need to acquire is some speed. I, I really sure. think that there needs to be someone that can put that can push defenses back. Like that was part of the beauty. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned you mentioned Huberto. You know, he had that amazing season last year. And if you look at the, you know the the, the deployment, uh, it was all against uh, it was all against you know secondary competition. It wasn't against top right. lines. Now was he wildly creative right. and put up you know a hundred plus points? Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't against top competition. I think that that hurt him come come Hart Trophy balloting time. But nonetheless, there's a great well, yeah. player in there. But he needs he needs to be complimented with speed, and he's not getting that. That's that. Well, and and I mean, he needs to be complimented with a Barkov. Like, let's be honest. Like he's, he's, I love, I love his game. He's a great player. I think ultimately we're seeing the Panthers made the right decision in the sense that what they needed from their star, they'd never get from him. They needed a guy like Kachuk. That's completely understandable now, but he, he's, he's kind of like your number two guy. If, if that makes sense, like he, he, you need someone else to be the fulcrum for the organization. And, and I don't know how you get that if you're Calgary. Let, let, let me end on this one. Um, do they need, because listen, we saw this this season. Like This was a season where the Calgary Flames needed a captain. <laughs> there needed to be someone in a, in a, in a buffer position here between, between mm-hmm. the team uh, yeah. and, and the head coach, and that didn't exist. I, I wonder if that gets moved along. Although I look, at the, I look at the roster, and I say to myself, who could be that player? Like Part of me yeah. wants to say, as crazy as it might sound, maybe Rasmus Anderson is that guy. Could be, could be, but I, but I think what you're saying is that if you have trouble identifying who the captain is, then you don't you don't have one, and and that's really the problem with the organization right now. You have your supporting cast in search of a star, and 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 I, I'm intrigued to see what a general manager does to remedy that. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see on that one. Okay, um, you're busy. We got things to do. We got two big games going on later on this evening, and you're at uh, at breakup day in New York. Thanks as always for popping by, my friend. We will talk in seven days. Anytime.
There is Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, MVSW Redux here every Wednesday on The Merrick Show.